Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. You have to draw a line in the sand. You have to build some boundaries. Maybe I'm not the right one for it. Uh, I'm to a point where I don't want to try anymore. You are hurting yourself. This is something we see regularly. What is someone in your life fighting for? And how can you be there for them? Hey everyone, welcome to our second episode of Marriage Helper Live. And we are so excited to be with you today, especially in our warm studio when it's freezing outside here in Middle Tennessee. I don't know what the weather's like where you live, but it was snowing on my walk this morning. It's a great way to start the spring. (laughs) Great way to start the spring. We're excited about today's show. Last week on our first show, it was an amazing success. We had great feedback from you. Uh, We look forward to even more feedback as we continue on. In today's show, we're going to be answering some of the emailed questions that have come in. We're going to be covering topics such as, what can I do when... I no longer feel like I love my spouse or my spouse says that they don't love me anymore. What do I do when my spouse wants out? When is a marriage over? And when can I hold my spouse accountable? Those are some things that that we're going to be talking about. But also, if you're watching live on YouTube, you'll notice there's a chat function there. And I'm going to be monitoring that as well. I have my laptop here. I'm going to be seeing what questions you're asking. We'll hopefully get to some of those as well. And then whenever Dr. Beam mentions any resources or articles or other videos we have at Marriage Helper, I'm going to drop a link in our YouTube chat for that as well. So even if you're watching this later, you're going to see those resources come up so you can access them in real time. So we're super excited about that. And we have some other things that we're going to talk about today, some other segments we're going to add in that we're excited about. Um, But we'll just dive in and get started, if that's okay with you. Sounds good to me. All right. Well, the first question we had, we had a few different types of this question come in. So I'm going to start with this one. The first type is a person who said, what can I do when I don't feel like I love my husband, but I want to try and stay the course? Second part of that different question, just a different way of looking at it, is a little bit longer. I'm currently married. We've been married 15 years. Mm -hmm. And last year, my husband began an emotional affair. He moved in with his affair partner. And although I asked him to return when I calmed down because I originally had asked him to leave, he told me no. He told me that he loved me, but he was no longer in love with me which we've heard. Mm -hmm. He told me he felt that I had abandoned him when our daughter, who was born 12 years ago, when she was born, I stopped having intimacy with him, both sexually and emotionally. And he told me he resented me for those lost years. I worked on myself for months. And when he came home in January of this year, he said he was willing to work on the marriage. And although he initially told me he loved me, he is now saying that he came back for our daughter and the feelings of being in love haven't returned. He believed that he believes that since his feelings for the affair partner have faded 
and because he has decided to stop resenting me for neglecting him, that those feelings should have reemerged by now. And since they haven't, it proves to him that he needs to leave in order to search for happiness as he frequently feels sad and empty. So all of it boiling down to, he doesn't feel like he loves me anymore. What can I do? So which of those two questions do we talk about? Which because one do you... they're totally different. Oh, awesome. The, the first one Not was, the I don't feel like I love him anymore. Mm-hmm. The second was, I don't feel like he loves me anymore. So totally different questions. Which one do you choose to look Let's at first? Let's start with, I don't feel like I love my spouse anymore. The emotion of love, when most people think about it, is something that changes almost day by day. You understand that in the early stages of love, whether it's called normative love or turning into what we call limerence love or whatever else it might be, that the early stages of love, I mean back at the beginning, tend to be pretty intense. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's even referred to as infatuation. But that when love gets deeper, in other words, the relationship lasts longer, those feelings of infatuation eventually go away. And they get replaced by feelings more of security, peace, contentment. Now, not that you're going to be content every day because you're not. But it's not those same exciting, if you will, emotions of infatuation or early love. So when you say, I don't feel love for my husband anymore, I would question, what do you mean by love? You see, if we were going to measure love, and as a matter of fact, it can be. Dr. Sternberg came up with an uh, analysis several years ago, an assessment, if you will, where you can measure the three important components of love between two people. And that would be intimacy. Intimacy here doesn't necessarily mean sex. It means openness, transparency, vulnerability. And then it would measure um, commitment. In other words, have you decided to stay? Will you be there in the good times and the bad? And then it will measure passion. And again, not necessarily sexual passion, although that's definitely involved. It's actually talking about a sense of wanting to share life, a craving, if you will, for oneness. Now, when you look at those things, you say, okay, when you say, I don't feel love, what do you mean? If you mean I don't feel those giddy sensations of infatuation, like it just overwhelms me every day, I'd say, okay, that's kind of normal as relationships go along. If you say, I don't feel commitment anymore, hmm, we'd start saying, why? And do you really understand what commitment is? I mean, have you planned for the long term or have you given up? And if you say, well, I don't know if I feel intimacy anymore. Now, those are the kind of things that we can fix. We, well, not we, but you, (laughs) you can fix, we can show you how, so that you can have more transparency and openness and vulnerability and those kinds of things, which then would lead, hopefully, to the passion, to the craving of sharing life with each other. So saying, I don't feel love for him right now, we said that doesn't necessarily mean anything, because there are certain things you can do that if you do, and he does, you can actually increase those three dimensions we just talked about, particularly the intimacy dimension and the passion dimension, and then one day you'll realize that you really do love this other person. You understand that it doesn't have to be that overwhelming sensation. It can actually be something that's very deep and quiet, simple almost in a way, but it really is the love that lasts. It's the love that'll last a lifetime because those intense feelings that people typically equate with love are relatively short-lived. Now, can they come back at times? Absolutely. Can you have a good life together? Absolutely. So I would say, if you don't think you love him, maybe you need to examine some of these things. 
And then the second thing, if I remember part of that question was, why would I stay with him? I don't know, was that part of that question or the next question? That was the next question. Okay, then we'll skip to that then. Okay, so for the next question, this is a wife who's asking, my husband has left because loved me but didn't, was not in love with me. Now he's come back, but the feelings of love haven't returned, but they have faded for his affair partner. So now he's saying, since I don't feel in love with you still, that's clearly a sign that I need to move on and start looking for happiness elsewhere. Okay, so it's, but did I hear somewhere in the two questions, and maybe I'm just imagining this, like why should I stay in this if my, if I don't feel that I love my spouse or he doesn't feel that he loves me, or did I just imagine that? I do. That is what this woman's husband said. Okay, Why but, not, but not she. Not she. Okay. No. All right, then I'm about to answer the wrong question. <laughs> so <laughs> let me let me back up and answer the question that was really asked. Okay. When a person says, I love you, but I'm not in love with you, we hear that all the time. I mean, that's something that I imagine is upsetting to you, but it doesn't upset us who work with marriage just because of the fact that it's just so common that people say that. What it typically means again is that right now I'm not feeling those intense emotions that I felt. Now, this woman refers to the fact that her husband had been involved with someone else, that those emotions had faded, and then that she came back, or I'm sorry, that he came back to this relationship and did it primarily because of their child. Now, just to break this question down so you can understand everything she said, she said this. Uh, or he said this, he said, when we had our child 12 years ago, you quit being intimate with me, indicating that the child had replaced him. That's actually pretty common. Uh, the typical first big crisis for most marriages is the birth of the first child. You say, why? Well, I'm gonna oversimplify this and forgive me for sounding silly the way I said, it, but it's because you change babies. What I mean by that is that you, the wife, typically has been paying a lot of attention to the husband that he enjoys, and this has been great, but when that child comes along, then the focus changes to the child. And quite often, the husband then will feel left out. And apparently this guy did. Now, to all of you who have children, particularly new children, young children, please hear this well. Yes, focus on that kid. I mean, that's your responsibility, do that. But do not forget to focus on your spouse as well. You don't wanna create a form, if you will, of sibling rivalry between your spouse and your child. You don't want that to occur. And so I'm not trying to beat you up, lady, for the fact that he felt this way. I'm just saying to all those others in this situation that this really does happen. It really is a phenomenon. It occurs. And so make sure you don't let that happen. All right now back to you. If he felt that way for 12 years and never told you about it, I don't know that you should feel like you bear all the responsibility for that, even if he says it. If he says to you, well, 12 years you didn't do that, and finally I just went and found somebody else, I think a reasonable response would be, well, I hate the fact that you felt that way. I, may I ask, why didn't you not tell me? He may reply, well, I did, but you didn't hear me. And that's a possibility. If so, just say, I'm sorry, I didn't hear. Help me understand that now. If he says, well, I didn't because of some other reason, you might just reply, well, I understand, but I do wish you could have told me. Maybe we could have done something about it then. Now, he's gone off and been involved with another woman. That, in, that includes an intense emotional situation. Remember, we, talked, uh, we often talk about infatuation as being the, the first level of any kind of love, romantic, romantic love between two people. And in that infatuation stage, there's a lot of just giddy feelings. I mean, it's just fantastic. It's almost like being on a drug, if you will. 
And if he left you to be involved with her, that other woman, I'll guarantee you he went through those emotions. Now, when they faded, he began to realize, maybe I have a responsibility back with my child. I need to go there. He comes back. But what he expected, based on what you ask in your question, what he expected was that somehow those intense emotions he had in that short-term relationship with this other person would suddenly reemerge with you, and that's an unrealistic expectation. You see, he has a long history with you. In the short term, can there be an, intense, uh, an intensification of passion? In the short term, there can. But typically, then it goes back to that lower level. Lower level is a wrong phrase. The lower intensity of emotion, but it's not really a lower level. It's a deeper level of emotion. So the expectations he has right now, based on what I read in your question there, is he's expecting something that's just not going to happen, but it's not because of you. It's not even because of him. It's because what he had in that short-term intense relationship is not going to be replaced by coming into a long-term relationship. Now, you might be thinking, oh, so I tell him? You're realistic. Your expectations are unrealistic. They can't happen. You could, but I doubt he's going to understand that. If I were you, I'd start a little later than that. You say, what do you mean? He came back for the child, but now he's saying, I'm feeling lonely. I'm not feeling fulfilled. Therefore, I need to go seek happiness. I think I would start the conversation with, I really appreciate the fact that you loved our child enough that you would come back. Was it a daughter? Mm -hmm. I think you came back for our daughter. Thank you. Now, do you think that her needs for you have gone away just because of the fact that you came back for a while? I mean, if you leave again, don't you think those same emotions still exist within her of needing her dad? So thank you so much for what you did. I'm asking you to consider, why would you now leave that? It was such a noble thing. And if he says, because I deserve to be happy, your response is, I'd love for you to be happy. But why don't we figure out how we can create the relationship that's fulfilling for you and for me that also gives our daughter what she needs? Because remember what happened last time when you left for that short-term intensive relationship? How long did it last? Remember? It faded. Don't you think that's a possibility of occurring again? And if he says, no, no, next time I'll find my real true love, your response can be, I understand why you feel that way. But maybe, just maybe we need to learn from my experiences that this is where your heart really is because this is where you came. So let's work on developing this relationship. And in the process of that, the further he gets from that intense little thing that he had with that other woman, and I don't mean little in the sense that he didn't feel much emotions. I mean, it was relatively short lives in time. It didn't last years and years and years. If you can make this relationship be comfortable, where that you can fulfill each other, where you can have intimacy, openness, transparency, vulnerability, where you can have passion that develops, which would start in the bedroom, but it doesn't just stay there and commitment to each other, there can, as a matter of fact, they will, if you stay at it long enough, come a time where that he feels comfortable with the love that he has for you, and he'll stop seeking that intense emotion that he had in that short-term relationship with that other woman. Hmm. Now, let's talk a little bit more about these three areas. I know it's a lot. It's more than we can go into in this kind of setting. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about it in our workshop that we have here in Nashville. But um, the, the three areas, the intimacy, the passion, and the commitment, mm -hmm. I do know them, yep. <laughs> all those three. 
One of the questions we had come in this week was from a woman who she said, I want to be more intimate with my husband, but because of my upbringing, because of different things that have happened in my life, I'm very inhibited is the way she described herself. And Mm -hmm. so she was asking, what resources would you recommend when I want to become more physically intimate with my husband, but also more emotionally intimate as well? And Dr. Beam, Dr. Joe, was just featured on Huffington Post as a Christian sex expert in this very similar area of an article that was written about women who feel inhibited for different reasons. So what resources would you recommend to increase that in a marriage? First of all, I certainly understand how that happens because particularly in homes that are extremely moral, if you will, or homes that are extremely religious, Uh, whether they're Christian homes, Muslim homes, whatever, Jewish homes, when people have certain sets of morality, they tend to try to prevent their children from violating that morality. And so they'll teach things like you you need to stay pure, chaste until you marry. And inadvertently, the message comes across that sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad. And then you're about to get married and they go, oh, oh, wait a minute, sex is good. And then you don't have the ability to make the transition. So what I'm trying to say is this probably is not your fault. It's been drilled into you and not by people who are trying to hurt you, probably by your parents or other people that really cared about you and were just trying to share with you their morality, their beliefs and their values. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But when it traps you so that in this relationship with your husband, you are inhibited, then what do you choose to do about it? Now understand it has to be your choice. Your husband can't force this on you or you'll resent it and you'll reject it and that won't be good. Now, if you want to go look for resources, there's all kinds of resources out there about sex. The difficulty you're going to have is based on the belief and value system, the morality that you already have, which is to some degree creating this inhibition, uh, will be offended by most of the stuff that's out there because they won't be coming from a baseline with which you identify. In other words, their morality, their sense of beliefs and values are not the same as your beliefs and values, you understand? And so the great likelihood is rather than helping you become uninhibited, it'll actually make you more inhibited because you'll look at that and go, no, 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 that's that's not who I am. So therefore, the one I'm going to recommend to you, while it's going to sound to some degree self-serving, and forgive me for that, is one that's going to start where you are. Uh, we have created, and when I say it's not we, I don't mean marriage helpers, actually another organization with whom I am involved. Uh, We created a thing called the SPARK. Now let me give you a very brief description of it. The SPARK is um, 12 different videos that go over seven and a half hours. No, it's not one video that's seven and a half hours or even one video that's an hour. It's 12 different videos. And in the SPARK, we also have embedded pauses because they're PDFs. And some of those things are, I teach you some things from the background of morality that I have, which is very conservative. Now, I am a sexologist. I've been on the Today Show talking about sex. I've been on Good Morning America. I've been on uh, the Mike and Juliet show, which was a national show before Fox and Friends, back before those ever came on. And so I am known as a Christian sexologist, but I don't try in those videos to force my Christianity on you. What I'm saying is that it comes from a a strong moral background so that people such as you can watch those videos, listen to them without thinking, that's not who I am. Well, I understand who you are. And then 
Occasionally, I'll say, stop and complete the PDF. And some of those questionnaires are designed to help you evaluate your own sexuality. Some of it evaluates the sexual compatibility between the two of you. I mean, there's all kinds of things through all those videos for you to stop and think through things, and then you restart the video and you talk to each other. That's the way to do it. It's not just, boom, I'm now somebody else. I'm gonna go running naked through the woods. It's not that at all. It's let's think this through one step at a time. From an educational process where we learn a lot of things about relationships, about sex, etc., where we stop and do some self-evaluation, each of you individually, then where we talk about our self-evaluations, where we are understanding and compassionate, then more teaching helping us to understand more. So while there may be other good products out there like that, I don't know of one. There are a lot of things about sex, but that one's available to help you overcome your inhibitions. Uh, Kimberly, could you possibly tell them how to find that? Because I don't even know. I, I'm happy <laughs> okay. to tell them how to find that except that YouTube is not acknowledging me as a, a, an admin, I guess. So Jesse, you might have to type this in. So the website that you'll go to is sparkyourmarriage.com. So the video series is called The Spark because it's intended to reignite that spark between you and your spouse, but it doesn't start with the two of you. You could go through at least the first part of this video series alone before you don't have to have your spouse there if that's something you're not comfortable with if you just need to get comfortable with you and with the material it is designed to help you do that and so we want to reignite that spark so it's sparkyourmarriage.com and you can find out how to purchase the video series there it's only $97 which is incredible when you look at the other things that are out there and this in the beta test that we did with couples there was an amazing increase in the, not only the amount of frequency that a couple would have in having sex with each other after going through this, but they were communicating more about it. They felt more comfortable with each other during, during sex and even just talking about it. It made huge differences in these couples' lives. So we're excited about that. We love helping marriages and we love helping Couples have a great sex life within marriage as well. So if that's something you're interested in, then it's a great resource and it's, it is ethical, it's moral, it's not like that other stuff that's out there that's just makes you feel like you need to go and have, take a shower because you feel nasty. Um, it's not like that at all. And even though that's a different organization, um, part of what, if, if you come in and they know you're from us, they'll actually give a donation back to our nonprofit to help mm -hmm. marriages if you do that. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's a great resource that's available for anyone who is looking for that. Well, we have some questions that have come in on YouTube, which is mm -hmm. exciting. So here's one that's, that comes from someone named Sarah. She says, how do you handle the in-laws having a relationship and liking the other person? What kind of influence does that have on our spouses? They have condoned his behavior since he left. Now there's some fill in the gaps that we'll need to have here because we don't have all of, of the information here. But what I'm guessing this is, is how do you handle if the in-laws don't like, it sounds here like they might not like her and they're condoning his behavior when he left. How do you handle that? Okay. Uh, Kimberly's assumption that they don't like you is very possible, but it may not be that at all. It may be that just they're trying to be on the side of their child. 
you understand that we hear this all the time. We run into it all the time. When here's a couple, they're married to each other, and one of them winds up getting involved with somebody else. Unfortunately, in, in America particularly, that happens a lot. It may happen all over the world. It's just that most of my work is here in America. And so let's say, here's the husband, let's say it's Charlie, and Charlie winds up getting involved with somebody else, and, and here the wife is trying her best to put that marriage back together because she still loves Charlie. They have children together that are being affected by this, and so she's working hard only to discover that Charlie's mom and dad have invited the other woman over to their house for dinner. That happens all the time. And you go, why, wait, how can they do that? Do they not care about their grandchildren? Do they not care about this marriage? And the answer is, I don't know. It could be, as Kimberly suggested, it could be they don't like you and chose the other person instead. I think it's more likely, though, that what they're trying to do is just be on the side of their child. Even the ones that start off by saying, son, you need to fix your marriage. You need to go back and work this thing out. Well, time often will move to the position we're talking about now. And part of what makes that worse is if Charlie's talking to mom and dad, I don't think he's going to be telling them the entire truth. Charlie's not going to be saying, and I did this thing wrong, dad, and I, I shouldn't have done that, dad. Charlie's more likely going to be talking about how terrible his wife is. Oh, dad, you should see. Mom, you should have heard her. And, and pointing out all those bad things about you. And so they probably are getting inside of information. Now, what do you do about it? The short answer is, there's not a lot you can do about it. Now, I know you don't want to hear that, but let me just stay with me before you become totally discouraged. You can't make his mom and dad get on your side. You can't do it. You can't, you can't force anybody to do anything. The only person on, on this planet that you can control is you. You understand that, right? So you don't attack them because that's not going to get you anywhere. Don't send them a vitriolic email. Don't send them a nasty little letter. Don't call them up and chew them out because that's not going to help you whatsoever. And if you do have a chance to interact with them, hopefully face-to-face, -face, that's so much better than any other way. But if you do get a chance to interact with them face-to-face, -face, like you call and say, hey, can I just come sit down with you guys? If they allow that to occur. Now, they may not because they're totally on Charlie's side now and they're afraid they're going to upset Charlie. But if they allow that to occur, when you sit down with them, don't attack Charlie and don't attack them. Don't say, what's wrong with you people? Because then they become defensive and you'll get nowhere. Don't try to guilt them. Do you know what you're doing to your grandchildren? You still will make them defensive. You understand that's not going to get you anywhere. If you can get that meeting with them, hopefully face to face, if you can get that, here's what I suggest that you do. Look at them and say, I understand that you love your son. I get that. But I'm here to make some requests, if you will. You understand that based on ample research out there, and we can go find it if you wish, it's so much better if we can make this marriage work, particularly for our children. And so I'm asking you that not to turn against your son, not to be against him in any shape, fashion, or form, but can you understand the importance of what it would be like if we could put this marriage back together? Then say something like this. Probably Charlie's told you about some of the things I've done wrong, and I have. I've not been a perfect person. I don't know what already told you, therefore I can't speak to those things. I'm just going to tell you I, I admit my side of things. At that point, don't say, but here's what you need to know about Charlie. Not going to work at this point. Now, if they ask specifics, you can answer them specifically. If they said, did Charlie do this? You can tell them the truth. But you're not going to try to throw Charlie under the bus. And at the end, you say this. 
while you're trying to be on your son's side, while you're trying to be there for him, while you're trying to be emotional support for him, which I understand and I accept, can you also try, if you will, to keep in your mind and your heart how wonderful it would be if this relationship with me and our children could be restored? Now you're thinking, well, can I ask them, don't have that woman back in your house again? No, you can't. It's not your right to ask that. Now, if they say, well, does it bother you if she comes over here? You can say yes. It breaks my heart when she comes over here because I'm afraid the message that gives to Charlie is that you think what he's doing is absolutely a-okay. Now, at that point, they may say, well, no, we really don't. We're being nice. You say, you understand. Or they may say, you know, actually, we do think it's a-okay. We're glad he's getting rid of you and glad that she's coming. If that happens, still don't burn that bridge. Don't attack them. Just say, I'm so very sorry that you feel that way. And I hope that in the future, you can understand why it would be so important to make this happen. Don't alienate them. If you get the chance, at least plant the seed. At least plant the seed for them to start understanding why it's important for your marriage to make it. And hopefully somewhere down the line that will help. But you can't make them do anything and attacking them in any shape, fashion, or form, or attacking Charlie in front of them in any shape, fashion, or form, even attacking the other woman in front of them in any shape, fashion, or form, is going to work against you. So as much as you want to do that, I strongly suggest that you don't. Mm -hmm. Remembering that if you are a parent, then you're speaking with parents. So if someone were to say something about your child that would get you defensive, that's what's going to happen when you speak with them. So keeping all those things in mind is a great, great first place to start. But even on top of that, what you can continue doing, even if there are negative influences coming at your spouse from the outside, is to continue doing the things you need to do, mm-hmm. no matter what. Right. Like Joe said, you're only in control of yourself. So do those things. We have tons of podcasts. Uh, If you look at us on iTunes or on Google Play, if you look up Marriage Radio, then you can subscribe and follow our podcast where you can see over 120 previous episodes that we've done that, that speak to what to do when you're wanting to save your marriage, what not to do, how to have that support system that you're looking for. So do that. Watch some of the other videos that we have on YouTube. If you're speaking with one of our client relations reps, if you haven't called in, then calling in and speaking to one of them can be amazingly helpful. And in fact, we're about to cut to a video where one of our client relations reps, her name is Erin, she's going to share a success story of someone that she's spoken with. And through that encouragement that our team has been able to give, it has made a huge difference in this person's life. So take a look and we'll see you in just a bit. Hi, I'm Erin and I work um, with the client relations team uh, here at Marriage Helper. And I just wanted to just share um, something with all of y'all. I feel like when um, people call in sometimes that they have talked to family members, they've talked to friends, and um, they haven't heard positive things about maybe their situation. And so when they call us, they feel like they have no hope because of, of things that other people have told them about their spouse, um, if, if their spouse has done something, um, even communication problems. Sometimes people just have communication problems um, and they hear a lot of bashing, um, so to speak, um, from family and friends. So we talk to them. We understand that 
yes, they're angry and they might be scared about a situation that they're in, but they still love this person. And we understand that. Um, we understand that good people do bad things. And the person that they married was a good person or they wouldn't have married them. Once a person does a bad thing, they stray from who they used to be. And a lot of times people call, they're like, I don't even know this person anymore. Um, and we, we understand that. And we understand that you want to still love this person and you want to help them. Some other things that, that you will learn in the workshop is how you contribute to the marriage. Um, and, and it could be some negative things. It, there's some positive, but it could be some negative, just like the person that has strayed. They will also hear the negative things. You'll get the tools that both of you need together to work on the marriage, um, which makes it a lot easier. It makes it easier for both of you to understand we're in this together, we have the tools. It gives your spouse the desire. Um, I feel like too, a lot of, um, a lot of these videos and, and a lot of the, um, the things that we send out is a lot of the, the success and a lot of the 77% the success, um, which is great because we have a lot of those. There's also, I'm sure people wonder, well, what about the other 20, 23%? What does that look like? What that looks like is um, maybe your spouse just needs a little more time. Maybe um, you just need a little more time. It doesn't mean that your marriage didn't work. It doesn't mean that you um, end up getting a divorce. Or maybe it does mean that you get a divorce. But a lot of the people that get a divorce, they end up coming back together. We have a lot of that. We um, actually have a couple coming to our workshop this weekend that um, they came to a workshop. Um, four months later, they, they were divorced. Uh, five months later, they are already remarried again. And it's because in the workshop you learn who you are, who you want to be, who you want to become. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time. It doesn't happen overnight. And sometimes if processes have already started, Maybe you're in the middle of a divorce when you come to the workshop. That's okay. Maybe the divorce ends up being final because you couldn't work through some things before, um, before it's final. But that doesn't mean that you can't get back together and you can't have the relationship that you want or that you came to us to try to get. You can still have it. Um, I'm working with a lady now. I've been working with her for several months. Um, she, um, her husband was having an affair. He wasn't living with her, but she loves him. And she, she told me, this is not the person I married. I don't know who he is, but I know that we can get back and I wanna help him get back to the person that he used to be. He's hurting and I wanna help him and I'm standing for my marriage. And that is exactly what she's doing. And um, she has learned with our help how to be a very, very safe place for him. So he does come back to her and he knows where he needs to be. And he's, it's just taken him a little bit longer to go through the steps that he needs to take to get back to where he needs to be. She told me yesterday that she knows that she would not be as strong as she is today and where she is today if it wasn't for the help of a uh, marriage helper please give us a call. We would love to help you with your situation. We would love to hear your situation and give you the hope that you're longing for.
Thanks for watching. One of the things we love to do at Marriage Helper is to celebrate the wins of the people that we work with. We love being able to do that. I grabbed just a few of these, they're name tags, and we actually have people fill them out after coming to our workshop. This is just a small handful. We have boxes full of these name tags of people who've been through our workshop. And it's just amazing always for us to read what happens to people after they attend a workshop or after they do coaching with us or whatever it might be. This person said, marriage helper, marriage helper helped my wife and I with the tools we wish we had learned to build our marriage 25 years ago. Another person said, even if your marriage is in a great condition, you need to do this at least once a year. I love that one. It's so true. One other person said, this was one of the hardest work I've ever done with my wife. However, it was without question the most rewarding. Kudos to all involved. I could go on for hours reading all of these cards, but we want you to know we celebrate successes with you. And one of the things that we're going to start doing on our live program are for the people who send in their testimonies, who send in their stories of success, we're going to, to use those in a segment. We're going to highlight those. And the ones that we choose, we're going to send some special marriage helper swag to. You're going to get some awesome shirts. You're going to get some books. Who else? Who knows what else? Maybe some Goo Goo Clusters from Tennessee because... Hey, why not? It's Tennessee, and we love putting anything in chocolate and sending it to you. So we look forward to that. If you have a testimony or a story of success you want to share, you can send it to us at live at marriagehelper.com. That's L-I-V-E at marriagehelper.com. You can send your questions there. You can send your stories of success there. You can send anything you want to possibly be considered to use on the show there, and we look forward to to getting it. Don't you love the success stories? It's what it's all about. We, Absolutely. our 501c3 nonprofit exists to help people in relationships. And most of what we've been asked about in this program are relationships when crisis, but we get other questions as well. And we help other situations than crisis situations. And, and, and in this program, we've gotten a lot of questions about affairs, but we also get questions about other married situations than affairs. We hope to help you with your relationships across the board. Parenting, uh, marriage, that's what we all exist for. We're all about the family, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So we have some questions that have come in on our chat. I'm going to read some of these off. One person says, my spouse left last summer. We've been married 25 years and have five children. Our divorce, unfortunately, will be final soon. There's no affair partner. And there's no communication due to an injunction. I'm standing, but how do I hope for future reconciliation? Sometimes I think that, that people in pain, and I get it. I do understand the pain. I, I love this person. Things are not going well. Give me hope. Tell me what I can do. What can possibly happen to give me hope? And I get that. I really do. And, and sometimes the questions just break my heart because of the fact that I hear the question and I'm thinking what you're looking for is some kind of a magic answer, a magic bullet. And if I were in your shoes, I'd be looking for the very same thing. And the heartbreaking part to me is there is no magic bullet. You say there's no communication because of an injunction. Now, of course, you didn't explain the injunction. We can only guess. I'm assuming that injunction has to do with somebody is being protected from somebody. You or the kids are being protected from him, or for some reason he thinks he has to be protected from you or something. 
and that injunction is precluding any conversation between the two of you. You say, how do I hold out hope? I don't know. I mean, I can understand you wanting to make the marriage work, but if there is no communication whatsoever, the man's been gone for what I think I heard basically a year. He's been gone for a year. There's no communication whatsoever. Then if you're asking, what can I do? I don't know. I don't know what you do other than you work on you. Mm-hmm. Now, we try to point this out to people, and sometimes people will just kind of shake their heads like, this doesn't make sense. But listen to me carefully. The more you work on you, the better person that you become, not because that you're evil or terrible or it's all your fault. We're not trying to say that at all. But we know you're not perfect because nobody is. And the better you become, the more you work on you, the more that you do, the better your life's going to be in the future, whether he comes back or not. Now, we exist to help people resolve their marriage problems. We hope that he comes back. And one of our hopes is that as you work on you, as you become the better you, that mutual people between the two of you, between you and your husband, friends, family, whomever it might be, that still are in contact with you, and if there are any such beings who still have contact with him, will eventually comment about how much a better person you're becoming. Not saying you were bad to begin with, not saying that at all, but wow, she's become more compassionate. She's she's taking care of her body even more than she did before. She's learned how to really listen to people, and it's just a great thing to be around her, whatever it might be that you work on. In our world, we call that the PIES, P-I-E-S, physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual development for you. We hope that gets back to him in some other fashion if you don't have any direct contact. And if so, then that has an effect on him. Or if at some point down the road, even after the divorce, the injunction is finally lifted, somehow you have some interaction between each other, probably because of the kids, that he sees it for himself. Won't see it now because of the injunction, but because that's who you've become, a better you, that if it does occur down the road, he sees it. And if even that doesn't happen, when it comes to your future, you have a better future. Now, for the sake of those kids and for the heart that you have, we hope it's with him. We really do. But if it's not, if that just never resolves itself, you can be even a better you so that down the road, sometime, whenever you're ready, and again, this is not what we try to help people do. We want to help the marriage. But down the road, if you're ready, if that doesn't work, and a good person comes into your life, that you're going to be such a better you than you are now, no matter how great you are now, that you're going to attract that kind of person, and that kind of person is going to be attracted to you, and you can have a wonderful, beautiful relationship in the future. Maybe even a man who is a really great father, stepfather, I understand, but father to your kids. So the answer is, there's nothing you can do about him that I know of. But there's a lot you can do about you. So that's where you focus right now. Mm-hmm. One of our team members, her name is Tina, and she came through the workshop many, uh, two years ago, three years ago, I don't know how long ago now, Her marriage didn't work out. They did end up getting a divorce. But if you hear her talk about how her life has changed because of the principles that she's applied, she just this past weekend, again, she told us how it saved her. It, the marriage helper principles, her applying them, it's made her a completely different person. She's doing things she hadn't done before. She's volunteering and giving back in ways. She's, it's still a win for her. Even though that relationship didn't work and even though she's still 
would be open to it coming to him coming back in the future. All of that is to say that focus on you. Do these things that Joe is saying and look for those opportunities to to celebrate other things that are happening in your life. Yes. Don't let this just get you down. There's there is more. And knowing that you have fought and done everything you can is huge. Continue on in that other stuff. Yes. Joe, we have a ton of questions coming in, so I'm going to try and get through as many as we can in the next 15 minutes that we have in this program. Okay. This next question I love. Heather says, my husband had a 10-month affair three years ago, and I've tried to get over it all of this time, but I can't stop thinking about it, and now I want a divorce. But he doesn't want a divorce. Is there hope? Well, there's hope. Uh, did you say the name was Heather? Mm-hmm. There's hope, Heather, but it has to be within you. Now, think about it. You probably stood for your marriage when that 10-month affair happened those three years ago. You probably were feeling good about the fact that he came back and you guys started working on the marriage. The fact that you can't quit thinking about it, now, don't get mad at me, just listen to me. The fact that you can't quit thinking about it is not his fault. I mean, he did what he did. I hope that you've done the right kind of things for reconciliation. I don't know that you have or not. For example, somewhere in the reconciliation process, and it doesn't happen early on, because it just typically can't happen early on, but somewhere in the reconciliation process, there are conversations about how did that happen? How Do you understand how I feel? Where he also hopefully would then say, not only do I understand how you feel, I'm, I'm so sorry for the pain and hurt that I caused you. So there are certain things that need to have happened. Now, if those things haven't happened, then you really need to get in touch with us <laughs> so that we can guide you guys. We, we do have things to help with that, do we not? Still a reconciliation process? We do, absolutely. We okay. have coaching. We have some online courses. Absolutely. Okay. So we have some things available where that we can help guide you through that process. If you didn't go through it yet, in other words, you just got back together and hope things would be better, this reconciliation process will help dramatically. Now, let's just assume then that you have gone through that and you still feel as you do. Your anger is based on your pain. You say, what do you mean anger? Well, that's what's, I'm guessing of course, but that's what's driving you to want a divorce. I just can't get past it, I can't get over it, I want out of this. That means that the hurt, the pain inside of you has not been healed. Now, that's just not good for you. Well, we hopefully, because of what we do, we hope that you work this out and save your marriage. But even if you don't do that, healing inside of you is crucial. And so the fact that you can't get over it, you can't quit thinking about it, is about pain that exists inside of you. Now, this typically is where counselors work best, helping an individual deal with the pain inside of himself or herself. But be careful, because if you go to a counselor who immediately says, well, the only way you can get past this is just to divorce that guy, that's not going to solve it. And that counselor, if he or she ever tells you that, doesn't know what they're doing. I'm going to just tell you right now, they don't. Because of the fact that divorcing him is not going to make all that go away. That's not going to heal the hurt inside of you. Here is the man who's come back. Here's the man that's trying to make the relationship work with you. Getting rid of him is not going to heal your hurt. Get rid of, getting rid of him actually may even add to your hurt in the long term. So if you're going to find somebody to help you with this, it might, if you're a religious person, it might be better than rather than going to a counselor per se, you go see a minister, a priest, a rabbi, 
whatever there is in your religion, someone who understands forgiveness, who understands inner healing, who understands peace, and go talk to him or her. Now, if you deal with this pain, if you heal this pain, there's great hope. There is great hope for your marriage. You don't have to be tied to this the rest of your life. You really don't. And if you choose, and you're still so far, three years, you're still tied to it. And if you're thinking, but it's not my choice, it's just in there. What I mean is you can choose to do what you need to do to heal from it. You can do that. I'm not saying it's going to necessarily be easy. Sometimes healing can be a painful process. But this is about healing the hurt inside of you, my friend. And I hope you do. Because here's a man who did a terrible thing. But he came back. He loves you. He wants the marriage to work. What a great thing it would be if you can figure out how to do this. Now, if you're kind of afraid of what a counselor might say, get one of our coaches. And I still recommend, in addition to uh, talking about our coaches, I still recommend that if you're a religious person, you find uh, a person in your faith who is all about forgiveness and peace and hope and those kinds of things and talk to him or her to help you with the inner hurt. Not to deal with your husband, but you to deal with the pain inside of you. Mm -hmm. And I really encourage you to keep an open mind as well. A lot of times when we're hurt, then we can look for only the people who are going to affirm what Mm -hmm. we're wanting to do. So the people who might affirm, you know what, yeah, I understand you can't get past it. Maybe you do need to leave or get the divorce or whatever that might look like. So I really do encourage you to find someone to keep that open mind and find someone who's going to speak to you about the reality of it and help you through it. I love that you asked this question because it means that you're searching. Good. And I love that you're coming to us and that you trust us for an answer like this. So we would love to help you in any way we can with coaching, with with resources. I encourage you to listen to our podcast. I know we have a ton of episodes on there about affairs. I just can't find them right now. But we would absolutely love to help Heather. All right, let's get to some more of these questions. Another person said, what do you do when your spouse thinks that there's too much water under the bridge to make them want to return? Mine is involved in an affair and we currently have no contact. Mm -hmm. I think the first thing I would think about this is that you don't necessarily believe everything your spouse says if they're having an affair with somebody else. Mm -hmm. If you say, what do you mean by that? Sometimes people just have to find a rationalization to justify what they're doing. Now, I'm not saying that they necessarily are trying to lie to you. Often people believe their own rationalizations. But, but to, to find some excuse, some rationale, if you will, that justifies not trying to salve the marriage, salvage the marriage and, and make things good again, but staying with your affair partner, the kind of thing you hear about there's just too much water under the bridge, is just that. Therefore, if you try to debate that or argue that, you're probably just going to lock her down. You say, what do you mean? You say, well, there's not too much water under the bridge. Now she's got to defend that. And if she starts defending that, she's going to start coming up with this and that and the other in her memory. Well, what about when you did this? And what about when that happened over there? And so arguing often locks them into the position they're already in because they start looking for justification to defend what they just said. Therefore, I suggest you don't argue with her about it. Just hear it and say, I can understand that you feel that way. I hope that someday you could think about the fact that we don't look to the past, but we look to the future and make a better present because of that. 
So just don't argue. So any of you whose spouses are giving you statements like that to justify behavior they shouldn't be involved in, and it's not just necessarily an affair. Uh, maybe you've got a wife who is drinking heavily and she's giving a reason for that as well. It typically doesn't help to argue against the rationale they give. Just try to understand, okay, I can understand that you feel that way, and then try to reframe, try to focus towards something else. So you're not gonna argue her out of it, but if you do the things that we've been talking about throughout all of the things that we teach where you work on you, become the better you that you can be, that's the only way, if, if any way, that's the only way that you're gonna overcome those kinds of statements. It's about you becoming a better you rather than arguing about what they think or feel at the moment. Mm -hmm. And you had mentioned that contact might be an issue. I encourage you to go to marriagehelper.com and search for smart contact. Mm -hmm. We have an article titled, uh, it's no contact versus smart contact, how to get your husband or wife back. So I encourage you to go and read that. That's going to give you a lot of beneficial information as well. Joe, the next question that we have that's come up, this person says, can you talk about midlife crisis affairs and the stages of what men go through during a midlife crisis? You're not going to like my answer. <laughs> we did a whole podcast on yeah. this. There's great. no such thing as midlife crisis. I mean, there really isn't. If you start looking at the social science research out there, out there you'll find that, that what sometimes is called midlife crisis can occur when you're 21 or 81 or anywhere in between. And, and it's just kind of a category people want to put things into to say, oh, well, this is just a midlife crisis. Now, what they're really describing, and that's why we don't use the phrase midlife crisis, because it, it puts people into a jar, and then you start thinking you're going to deal with them because of all the things you've read about that jar. And that leads you to make some errors, often, in the way you interact with them. Typically, what they're referring to when somebody says X is having a midlife crisis is this they're actually typically going through a grief process. You say, well, what do you mean? It means that they have come to the realization that something they expected to occur hasn't, and in all likelihood, isn't. So can that, hurry, can that occur when a person is at a particular age range? Sure, but it can happen at any age range. It can happen when you finally realize this dream I had is never gonna happen. This thing I thought was gonna be part of my life isn't. It can be a level of success I expected to achieve. It can be a certain relationship I thought I was going to have. It can be the amount of money I thought I was going to make. It can be any number of things. But because of the fact that it was so important to them, when they finally realize this probably is not going to happen, then they go into the grief process. And the grief process is not linear. Now, you know, Kubler-Ross wrote about it years ago, and she did a great service because she helped us to start thinking about it, about the, the shock, denial, anger, bargaining, all those kinds of things. But it's not exactly the same for every person, and it's not linear. In other words, it kind of jumps all over the place. So what are the stages men go through? The same stages women go through. And what are those? It varies with every individual. It's a denial. Like, I don't want it to be this way. It should be different. And that's when you see somebody who realizes that he or she, see it with women all the time. I'm not as young as I used to be. I miss that. I am now grieving the fact that I'm not young anymore. Denial. Have you ever seen a woman dress very inappropriately for her age? 
trying to act like she's 20 years younger than she is. That's a form of denial, if you will. I'm denying the reality of how old I really am and the situation in life I'm really in. So rather than trying to understand the stages, try to understand what's underneath it. There's a level of disappointment, which is causing a level of grief. And so the best way to help somebody through that is to help them understand what it is that they're grieving and to let them know that you're there with them no matter what and that it's going to be okay. It's when people finally accept that whatever it was they thought was going to happen isn't. When they finally accept that's when they finally have peace. Just yesterday, I spent a couple of hours with a dear friend of mine who is uh, who has pancreatic cancer. And um, we've been planning his funeral. And he is completely at peace. Completely at peace. Many people in that very same situation would be distressed. They would be discouraged. They would be uh, in all kinds of meltdown in all kinds of ways. And, and maybe even needing some medicine to help with all that. And, and would certainly be understandable because I thought I was going to live longer. And all of a sudden, my doctor tells me I've got X number of weeks or months. And... And so people go into that grief process. We get it. We understand. But it's helping a person accept it's going to happen. Or it's never going to be like you thought it was going to be. That's just not going to happen. When they finally can accept that, they come and they get through that grief process. They come to peace with themselves. So if your husband isn't what you believe is a mid-life crisis, do your best to listen. Now, you may not be talkative right now, but when he does, do your best to listen. And you can ask questions as long as they're not set up questions or prying questions. Questions like, help me understand what you're feeling right now. And, and don't think he's lying if he says, I don't know what I'm feeling right now. Because he probably doesn't. Just go, okay. So whenever you feel a certain way, I'm, I'm happy to listen. I'm, trying to, I'm happy to understand. You got to get the fact that he's not going to jump right into, in all likelihood, jump right into, this is what's never going to happen that I'm missing and that I now feel this terrible dread about or pain about because it's not going to occur. Typically, they can't even admit that to themselves that quickly. Listen, understand, feedback, be compassionate. Never say, oh, good grief, grow up. Accept reality. Don't do that. Just be there to be the comforter. And that's how you help a people. Uh, that's how you help a person through the grief process. Is be the comforter. You can give them things to think about, but never tell them do this, do that. Just be there. So, did you hear my answer? The research is pretty good that that thing midlife crisis doesn't really exist. Okay, it's about a sense of loss. Now, how do you get past that? And you can help him get past that only if you're there as a comforter, not as a director. Mm-hmm. And go to marriagehelper.com, search for midlife crisis. We, it'll guide you to that podcast we did where we talk about these five stages of grief, how the quote-unquote midlife crisis fits right into that. And so that'll give you some great starting places to go as well. Well, we have come to the end of our hour. Be sure to subscribe on Facebook because you'll get notifications of other videos we put up throughout the week of next time we do this. Anything we can do for you, we are happy to help in any way we can. If we can get you connected with our free resources, with coaching, with our workshop, anything you want more information about. This month we have a special price on our workshop. So if you want more information about 
how our workshop saves marriages and what the price of it is this month, you can call us. Uh, you can email us. You can email live at marriagehelper.com for your questions, for your success stories. Anything we can do, we're here for you. So until next Monday, have an amazing week. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you, Kimberly. We look forward to next time. Have a good one.